In your Bibles, Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 2, I'm going to read part of the uh, Christmas story that we are very familiar with. And um, if you want to follow along on your uh, device, on the Version Bible app, the notes are up there as well. Luke chapter 2, beginning with verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were, uh, they were terrified. I love the King James. They were sore afraid. They were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. Amen. You may be seated. Today we start a new Christmas sermon series titled, Till He Appeared. That's the title of the series, three parts. Till He Appeared, How Jesus Changes Everything. And this is the Christmas season. The Christmas season is in full swing. And uh, I just want to say, isn't it great? The, the Christmas uh, time of year, this Christmas season. I know you get stressed out about buying presents and finances. And we get stressed out about uh, our schedules, parties we got to go to and activities. And our kids have programs at school and church activities. And so sometimes those things stress us out. But you know what? It's, it's still a great time of year. And if you can just slow down, just pause long enough to relax and breathe and, uh, and enjoy this time of year. It's a great time of year. How many of you think this is a great time of year? Is it, can I see your hands? Is it just me? Okay, all right. Yeah, great. It's a beautiful time of year. And we all celebrate, you know, there are things when we celebrate Christmas that we, we have in common as, as, as far as our celebration. And other things, maybe each family does things a little bit differently or even individuals within a family have different ways of celebrating. And mostly because everybody tends to have a different focus on, on how they acknowledge, how they celebrate Christmas. We all focus on different aspects of the season. For example, there are those people, and as I kind of go through this, this list, you might think of people in your family that are like that. Maybe it's you. But there are those people that really enjoy the decorating part of Christmas, right? It's like extreme decorating. Some people love to decorate the house. And uh, in fact, I know people who, who leave Christmas decorations up all year. But uh, other people, and most of us, you know, we take them down and then we put them back up. And some people just just are great at decorating inside the house. And, and maybe some of the guys or, or women uh, decorate the outside. It's like the, the spirit of Clark Griswold falls on you. And you just you start competing with the neighbors or competing with what you did last year. And you just love to decorate. Do we have any decorators in here? So we just love to decorate. That's one aspect 
That's one aspect of how people uh, celebrate Christmas or one, one uh, focus that people have. Other people, their focus during Christmas is baking. It might be, you know, cooking, uh, but mainly baking. They love to bake. They love to decorate, not the house Inside or out, but they love to decorate uh, cookies. They love to bake and bake. And it's, it's, it's uh, the spirit of the pioneer woman that comes on them. And they just bake and cook and decorate. I was talking to a lady uh, just a couple of weeks ago, the week after Christmas, that I know. And I, I asked her, how, uh, the week after Thanksgiving, rather, I asked her, how was, how was your Thanksgiving? And she, she got real excited started telling me about everything she cooked and baked for Thanksgiving. She said, I did this. She said, we, we had one turkey and two large hams. One turkey and two hams. And we, and, and we had like five or six different sides. She told me what they had, all the different sides. And, and I, I told her, what about the dressing? Well, we had two kinds of dressing. We had the cornbread stuffing. And then we had the regular dressing. And then and she says, and, and we had eight pies. And six of those, she said, I made them from scratch. Everything from scratch. Two of them we bought the the shell for them, you know, but and she told me what they were, apple and something else. But the other six, I made them from scratch. We had uh, we had pecan pie, and I, she said I shelled all the pecans. I you know I made every I made the crust. I made everything, and uh, a total of eight pies. I did it all myself except for those two, you know. So she told me all this food they were having, and I said, Wow, well, how many people did you have at your house for Thanksgiving? She said five. I said, five people? You had one turkey, two hams, and eight pies, and five or six sides, and two kinds of stuffing. I thought, oh, my word. She said, yeah, we had a lot of food left over. Yeah, that's uh, the, the, the person who loves to bake for holidays. And so we have the extreme decorator, and then we have the extreme baker. And then we have those that love to give gifts. Some people just love to give gifts. And they're, they're prepared. You know those people, and we have some in our family, and, and boy, they've, they've saved us. Because they're prepared to give gifts. They, when they have the family get together, they have an extra gift just in case. You know anybody like that? They have an extra gift just in case somebody shows up. It's happened to us in our family celebration. We've had people over for, for our Christmas family celebration that couldn't go home. One, one time it was an airman from Goodfellow. He was with us. And uh, my sisters were great. And really all the women in our family, they have an extra gift just in case somebody needs a gift. And uh, we later, you know, it, it's happened probably two or three times in our family. And uh, these are the people who just love to give gifts. They like to shop for their family, their friends. And it might not be a big gift, but they, it, it's like the spirit of Oprah comes upon them. And you get a gift and you get a gift and you get a gift. They all get a gift. And that's what they focus on. So you, you have the, the people who focus on the decorating, others on the baking, and someone giving gifts. And then you have those that love to take pictures. Do we have any photographers here? Love, love, they, they love to stage a picture next to the Christmas tree with the, with the children especially. They get everything right. They want to get the lighting right. They want to make the kids laugh and smile. And uh, sometimes those pictures come out great, and sometimes they don't. Especially when you deal with children, you can't always control, right, the way the pictures come out. So what happens is we get pictures like this. You know, maybe, maybe the, the photographer in your family, they have in mind having a picture of a smiling baby that looks something like that. That's, you know, first of all, I don't get the, putting the, the electrical cord, you know, the light 
cord around the baby's neck. But anyway, what, but that's what they're thinking. That's what they're envisioning. But instead, they get this. How many of you babies don't always cooperate? Don't always cooperate. Oh, so maybe, maybe they, uh, the photographer in the family really wants a picture of the kids with Santa Claus. And what they envision is this. What they get is this. Where somebody's crying. You know, it is, you just can't get them to smile. You can't get them to smile when, when right at the time that everybody else is smiling. Or maybe the photographer in the family who likes to focus on getting pictures and documenting our family celebration. They have in mind a really magical, well-lit picture like this next one. You see the lighting, and he's, you know, you see the lights on at the bottom. The, the family pet is giving the, the baby a, a kiss, a little, the toddler a kiss. And that's what they're picturing, but instead the fail, the fail turns out to be something like this. <laughs> Poor guy. He reminds me of Malachi. I've seen him do that, make that expression once or twice. So people get different things out of Christmas. You know, they just different ways of celebrating different They have a different way of focusing on different parts of Christmas. So the question that that I want to answer in this series titled Till He Appeared is, what should we get out of Christmas? What should we get out of Christmas? The Christmas story is more than just a story that we kind of look back on and say, oh, yeah, that story, I've read it in the Bible and I, I heard Linus quote that and the Charlie Brown Thanksgiving. Yeah, I know that story. It's more than just something we, we read about once a year and say, yeah, it's a nice story. But it, it's something that can actually have meaning and purpose in our lives. And so what I want to tell you, and this is really the big idea of the whole series, is this, that Christmas is about God meeting us at our deepest point of need. And now that may not make a lot of sense Right now, but we're going to talk about that, how Christmas is God meeting us at our deepest point of need. We don't usually think about Christmas that way, right? If I were to ask you right now, what what does Christmas mean to you? You'd say, well, Christmas means family. We'd all say, first of all, we understand Christmas is about Jesus coming to earth. And Christmas means, you know, acknowledging that and worshiping God and thanking God that he, he sent his son to come to earth. Uh, but then we say it's about children. Have you ever said that? Christmas is about children. Uh, and, and really, when it comes to family celebrations, it is. That our, fa- our family has gotten so large that we don't exchange gifts. Um, uh, well, we do exchange gifts among the, among the adults, but we draw names. There's so many of us. We draw names for the adults. Our kids and grandkids, eight, uh, ages 18 and under, they all get a gift from the adults. So this is Seth's last year to get, a, to get a gift from all the adults. Next year, he goes into the pool that we all draw from. And, uh, because we're a lot, of, a lot of people. But, you know, and it, so we love to see the kids open their gifts. Somebody like me, I don't need anything. You know, people can get me gifts, but I don't, I don't need clothes. I, don't need, I could use some money always. You know. But I don't, need, I don't need another gadget. I don't need electronics. You know, I, you know so we exchange gifts because it's part of our tradition and so I appreciate anything that I get doesn't have to be big. But the kids, you know, we say, yeah, it's all about kids. But we don't usually think, though, that Christmas is about God meeting us at our deepest point of need. 
We think, okay, yeah, it's a story of a man and his pregnant wife traveling a long way. We think of the shepherds. We think of the magi. We think of angels. But we, we don't usually think, yeah, Christmas is about God meeting me at my deepest point of need. And yet, that's really what it's about because that's really why Jesus came. Now, here's a verse that we don't really connect with Christmas. But I want us to look at this Philippians 4.19. Paul writes to them after he talks about how and, and thanks them for how they gave him, gave him financial help in his time of need. And, and then he says, And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Now he's talking to people who are living out God's plan, God's plan for themselves, for the church, for supporting Paul. They're being faithful in giving, even out of great need. And so when we're in God's plan... When we respond, we respond to God's love and we follow his plan. He says, my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. So he's saying that when he's telling us, when you think of Jesus, think about God meeting your needs. When you think of Jesus, think about God meeting your needs. And we know that that started at Christmas. Because when Jesus appeared, everything changed. Jesus is the difference maker. Now, I love the, the lyrics to the song that we sang earlier today, O Holy Night. We had a little poll on Instagram this, uh, this week. And uh, it was about what's your favorite Christmas song. And overwhelmingly, the song that got the most votes on our, this is on our church Instagram page. The song that got the most votes was this one. Oh, holy night. And it is a beautiful song. And we'll sing it again during this Christmas season. But there is a, there's a part in the song that says, Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared. See, this is where I, I got the idea for the, for the title of this sermon series. Till he appeared. Because we see the contrast before Jesus appeared. For a long time, the world, the people in the world were just in, in sin and error, pining. We don't use that word pining very much. When was the last time you, you used that word? Pining uh, means to languish and to decline. To languish, to decline, or to miss someone and to long for their return. Sometimes I do hear it used this way. People are, are longing for the good old days. They're pining for the 50s or they're pining for the 60s. You know, you, 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 you languish in your current condition. You're declining. You're going down. And you long for, for the way it used to be. Or you long for someone to come and rescue you. And this is what sin does. Sin causes us to struggle in life. This is what the world was like before Jesus appeared. Sin does the same thing even today. We languish. We go down. We decline. Our, our life goes from bad to worse. We feel like, like the train is coming off its tracks. The wheels are coming off. What's happening? What's happening to my life? And we long for something better. And, uh, and, and we desire. We see other people say, why can't my life be like their life? We just desire, we pine, we pine for our lives to improve as we languish and as we decline. We pine for our lives to improve as we languish and as we decline. 
But God says, I am going to meet those needs. I'm going to meet those needs. I'm going to rescue you from the sin that's causing that. And I'm going to do it through Jesus Christ who changes everything. Jesus changes everything. So long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared. And notice what happens after Jesus appeared and the soul felt its worth. We begin to recognize the value that we have in God. A thrill of hope. All of a sudden, instead of languishing in sin and despair and sin and error pining, now we have hope. The thrill of hope. We have joy. We have joy because we have the thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices. You see the difference that Jesus makes when he appears. And when he appeared, he gave us the potential to know Jesus in, in a way that brings this, this hope, this self-worth, not in us, but because God loves us, because we're his creation and this joy. So the Christmas characters, they all had something to teach us. They all had something to teach us. In fact, this week in our youth meeting, I asked the youth, who is your favorite character in the Christmas story? Well, it kind of threw them because they had really never, they had never thought about a favorite Christmas character, Christmas story character. So I could see their puzzled looks like Christmas character, favorite Christmas character. So they thought about that. And, and, and Jonah gave me a very interesting uh, answer. He said, this, he's not really my favorite, but he really makes me wonder. And I think about what he thought, what he was doing. And he said, he was talking about King Herod. He said, oh, wow, that's, that's kind of deep. He can't be our favorite, and Jonah said that, but the fact that he was willing to kill little boys two years of age and under, you know, because of his ego. And so we, we you know, got to, I got to thinking about that. You know, we, we learn from all the different characters, and, and we look at the shepherds. This is what we're looking at today. The shepherds, what do they teach us? What did they learn when Christ appeared? What did they learn? What, is, what, what, what was their focus? I talk about how we focus on Christmas today, a contemporary way of, of uh, celebrating Christmas. But what was the focus of the shepherds? I think here's what the shepherds learned. They learned that Christmas is about acceptance and access. Christmas means acceptance and access. And so if you know the story, you know there were shepherds involved. And in fact, some of you may have played a shepherd when you were small. Any of you in a Christmas program ever play a shepherd here? Do we have any shepherds? Okay, we have a few shepherds. In fact, a lot of churches, if they don't, or some churches, if they don't have enough boys, can't even recruit girls to play shepherds. I think, didn't Shelly play a shepherd one time? Uh, our niece, Shelly, I remember they, they drew a beard on her. And when we saw we thought, she looks like her dad because her dad used to have a beard. So we thought that was kind of interesting. But, um, you know, so we're used to seeing shepherds. We know they're part of the Christmas story. We're, we're used to seeing them in, in the nativity scene uh, at, you know, at the manger. But you know who, who never would have placed the shepherds at the manger? We, to, to us, the shepherds make sense. Have you ever seen the wise men, the magi? In a manger scene. And people say. They don't really fit there do they? Because they came like two years later. We're like I know but just get over it. You know this is just. This is the way we do the manger scene. 
Uh, so that may, maybe it's some people that throws them off. But shepherds, we all say, oh yeah, the shepherds belong there. But you know who never would have placed the shepherds at the manger? The shepherds. The shepherds never would have placed themselves there at the manger. Because the shepherds knew who they were. They were men who would never be invited anywhere. Now we read verse 8 that says there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby. Now think about, think about this. They were living out in the fields. They weren't living out there, but they weren't too far away. They were nearby. And the reason they were out, but they were near, you see the tension between that? They were out, but they were near. They weren't too far away, is because they were considered outcast. They weren't allowed to be a part of the community. And so they stayed as close as they could, where they could wash, or I'm sorry, not wash. Maybe they did wash their cheap. Oh, my word, I can't speak. <laughs> oh. We're on Facebook Live, folks. Your pastor doesn't know how to, how to speak. They were watching their sheep, not, wa- not washing their cheap. Okay. All right. I'm glad you're, you're finding humor in that. <laughs> so they were considered outcast, and they, were, they weren't allowed to come in. In fact, more than outcasts, they were known, they were known to be thieves. To be cheaters, to be liars. That's why they wouldn't let them come in. Uh, in fact, even beyond that, they were ceremonially, ceremonially unclean. So they weren't allowed to go to the temple to worship. They'd see other people go to the temple. There goes that family. There goes a the family. There. And they couldn't go. They weren't allowed because they were ceremonially unclean. They literally could not go to church. And so they didn't belong. And they knew they didn't belong. Have you ever felt this way? Have you ever felt like you didn't belong? Uh, Maybe when you were a kid in school, when you were still in school, and as we always say, you know, when they were picking teams, I was always the last one. Or or, or maybe you weren't the smartest one at that time. You're smart now. We know that. But uh, you just didn't belong with... uh, with the other kids who had the better grades. I had a classmate when we were in elementary school, I think maybe fourth or fifth grade. She was sitting behind me. And uh, we're still Facebook friends now. She's a retired teacher like I am. I remember one time we were having a hard time understanding some math. And so I turned around and I'm talking to her and I'm trying to explain it to her. And uh, she says, I don't get it. I feel so dumb. And she said, I I think I'm going to start a club. We're going to call it the, the Dumb People's Club. And you can be in it. I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> I'm trying to explain this to you, you know. So, uh, but she, you know, she felt like she didn't belong. Have you ever felt like maybe, it's, maybe it was school, maybe at, at work. Uh, for some people, even at church. They go to church and they feel like, I don't feel like I belong. We had a, a man visit our church uh, a while back, a few years ago. He came in and he wasn't a churchgoer. He came into church. His, he's an older man. His girlfriend was with him and he came in Saturday and says, I'm just expecting the, the roof to, the ceiling to cave in. He just felt uncomfortable. And uh, some people just feel like they don't belong. But guess what? The shepherds felt that way. But the angels appeared to the shepherds first. Angels showed up first to the shepherds, I believe, to establish the fact that Jesus had come for those who didn't belong. For those who were Far from God. For those who were disconnected. They were disconnected. And I think that Jesus was born and the angels 
showed up first to the shepherds to let them know you're disconnected, but now you're going to be able to be connected. Because here's the point. God reveals himself first to people who don't belong. This made the Pharisees so angry that Jesus spent time with the sinners, with the tax collectors. They didn't understand that God reveals himself first to people who don't belong. He showed up to shepherds because shepherds were the furthest from God at that moment. And I think what God was saying at that very first Christmas was, I am going to reconnect with those that are disconnected from me. And even if it was partially because of the shepherds' practices of, of being uh, you know, unfair and cheating, lying, stealing, he showed up to them. And so verse 9 tells us that an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. They were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Now, why were they so terrified? Why were they sore afraid? A couple of reasons, but certainly because of the imposing presence of this angel. I don't know if you, I don't know what you think when you consider what an angel might have looked like, but uh, these weren't cherubs. Now we have an imposing angel, and then we read a verse later that a host, a company of the host of angels appeared with him. Right, so. These were not cherubs. These were warrior angels. So they would have been big, imposing, authoritative. And the reason we know they were warrior angels, look at the, look at the words. Uh, a company, uh, that's a military term, right? A, a company is what we read of host, of uh, the heavenly host. So it was a great company of the heavenly host appeared. So when the first angel appeared, then we understand why the shepherds were afraid. You would be afraid too, especially if you were a thief, a liar, you know, if you were like the shepherds, you know, who who stole, who who lied, then they knew that they're cheating, all that. They might have thought, "Oh no." We're going to get justice. Right? We're going to get a little bit of holy justice right here. I mean, if they had been able to, to, to speak up, they might have said, I think we know why you're here. I like to watch the forensic files type of shows when I have an opportunity. And um, sometimes somebody commits a, a crime and they have a hard time figuring out. Eventually, of course, you know, science, forensics, all lead to the person who is guilty. And when they go to arrest him, I've seen several times where the person says, I've been expecting you. Like, I, I was just wondering when you're going to figure it out and come arrest me. And so the shepherds might have thought, I know why you're here. You're here to, to judge us. So what they heard the angel actually say must have rocked their world. And I think it can rock our world, too, if you realize what it means. Because instead of saying, we've, you know, we've seen you. And this big imposing angel and this great company of the heavenly host appears. We've been watching you. Instead, what they heard was a message from the angel that said, Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. 
A Savior has been born to you, and he is the Messiah, the Lord. That's the message. What a great message. A Savior has been born to you. And I think each one of them must have thought, to me? Surely not. You must be mistaken. Nobody wants me. Nobody would do anything for me. Nobody lets me into their circle of friends. Nobody accepts me. I'm an outcast. Look where we're living. You, you've, you've, got, you've got to be in the wrong place. You must have the wrong people, the wrong person. Because that was not what they were expecting. But that was a message that Jesus was born for them. He is born for us. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. It was a clear message. And this message was actually a fulfillment of a prophecy by Isaiah. In Isaiah 9-6, he prophesied, For to us a child is born. For to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. But notice the focus of Isaiah. He's born to us. The angel said, he's born to you. So he came for you. I want you to remember that today. He came to, to make a difference in your life. He appeared for you. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices. That's what he came to, to do. He came to make a difference in your life. And maybe your life was messed up. Maybe your personal life was messed up. Your family life was in shambles. There was anger. There was despair. There was turmoil in your life. Till he appeared. And he changed everything. Maybe your life was painful. You were forgotten, you were abandoned, you were neglected, you were ignored, you hated yourself, you, you hated the way you looked, you hated where your life was going, till he appeared and he changed everything. Christmas means acceptance. When nobody else would give you the time of day, Jesus said, I came for you. Now, Christmas also means access. What does that mean? Access. Well, access really speaks to having a, a living, vibrant relationship with God through what Jesus did on the cross. We have access to God through Jesus. We have access because Jesus appeared, because Jesus was born and he became a man. He lived a man, uh, uh, the life of a uh, of a human, and he died on the cross for us. We have access because Jesus came to earth, but our access wasn't totally completed until he died on that cross. Because we know that he came to die. When Jesus died, the gospel writers tell us that when he died, there was a veil in the temple that tore from top to bottom. It split in two. And it was a veil that led into this place called the Holy of Holies. And nobody could go into the Holy of Holies but the high priest once a year. Because that place represented God's presence. Nobody could go into God's presence except for the high priest once a year. And he had to do things exactly the way they were prescribed in the old covenant when he went in there to offer a sacrifice for the people. But when Jesus died, at the moment he died, the veil, this thick, heavy veil that separated the holy place and the holy of holies, 
that veil tore in two, signifying that now we have access. We have access into God's presence because of what Jesus did on the cross. And so here's here's the way I want to uh, say this to you. We have acceptance through his birth, but we have access through his death. We have acceptance through his birth, but acceptance is not enough if we don't access the gift that God is offering us through Jesus. And, and, and if, we, if we don't accept him into our lives, if we don't access that, then acceptance is not enough. It's great to, to say, well, God loves me. That feels great. But God says, I have something more for you. I want you to know that I love you, but I also want to give you eternal life. We can access that by receiving Jesus into our hearts. We can access God's presence by receiving him as our savior and by living for him. By continuing to the end. We have access. We have acceptance through his birth and access through his death. And so that's what I think the shepherds teach us. Because that's what I think they learned. I think they, they figured out, wow, God loves us. And then as Jesus lived his life and concluded his journey to the cross and the veil was torn, then we all now have access directly to God. We don't have to go through a priest. We don't have to go through another mediator. The Bible says there is one mediator and that mediator is Jesus Christ, the man. So through Jesus, now we have access into God's presence, acceptance and access. So some of you today might be like the shepherds who were in fear. They were neglected. And then when the angel appeared, they were in fear. And it must have been a gripping fear. And so maybe you've lived your life in fear just like them. Maybe you've lived your life in fear and every time something bad happens, you say, God is punishing me. Have you ever said that? I know why this is. I know why I lost my job. God is mad at me. God is punishing me. That's fear. and That's not of God. I know why we're having marital problems. It's because I've messed up in the past and, and God is punishing me. I know why I'm sick. I know why, as people have said, I know why I have cancer. You know, God is judging me because God knows my past. No, not at all. The shepherds were afraid. The angel said, don't be afraid. I have good news that will bring great joy. And so God is saying to you, don't, don't attribute to, to God the fear that Satan wants to instill in your life. No, don't be afraid. It's not because you messed up. It's not because, you know, what we've all messed up. We're all like the psalmist in Psalm 25, who in his prayer said to God, Lord, remember not the sins of my youth. How many of you could say that with David? God, remember not the sins of my youth. But a lot of times Satan says, you're sick because God remembers the sins of your youth and he's punishing you. No, that's a lie. So don't be afraid. Receive the good news of joy that because Jesus appeared, we now have acceptance and access Acceptance from God and access to his presence.